Well, welcome to the City Church. My name's Clayton. I'm the lead pastor here of the City Church. And I got a question for you. And right in your homes, I, I want you to raise your hand if you know what a side hustle or a side chick is. Just raise your hand. I know you might think it's weird. Maybe you're by yourself. Uh, but, but listen, this is kind of weird all in and of, of itself, right? I mean, you, you might be at home like watching church right now in your underwear. And, and so that's weird, right? Like going to church in your underwear. So just raise your hand if you know what a side hustle is or if you're familiar with the term side chick. Side hustle is defined as any type of employment that is undertaken in addition to one's full-time job. A side hustle is generally freelance or piecework in nature, providing a supplemental income. Urban Dictionary, which is where we should find definitions for all words, it says this, it's something other than your main job. A side chick, according to Urban Dictionary, is the other woman. It's also known as the mistress or a woman that is neither a man's wife or girlfriend who has a relationship with a man while he is in another relationship. In other words, adultery. That's what, that's what side chick is. It's, it's adultery. But I want to submit to you this morning that some of us have a side Jesus. Some of us have aside Jesus. Like he's not the main thing in our life. We haven't like reoriented our lives around Jesus, around following Jesus. You see, early Christianity took place in the first and second century under the Roman empire. And the Romans were great with Jesus being like some other side God or side religion. They worshiped Caesar as Lord. And you could have all other kinds of side gods and side religions as long as you still continued to worship and proclaim Caesar as Lord. Well, with the accession of the emperor and each emperor, his birthday, they were referred to or hailed as the Evangelion, which is Greek for gospel or good news. Now, that word might be familiar to you now when I say gospel or good news. And that's what the Romans referred to uh, the accession of the emperor or even his birthday. They would use that same word, euangelion. It was the gospel when the emperor took power or when it was his birthday. The emperor was known as the kurios, which is the Greek word for Lord. And it would become known or used in the terms of Lord of the world. And so the Romans saw Caesar as the curios of the world, the Lord of the world, the one who commanded the allegiance and the loyalty of the entire empire, all the nations. Well, with this in mind, the first chapter of Paul's letter, his first letter that we have in the New Testament, if you're reading it kind of front to back, is Romans. And in that very first chapter, Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome and he introduces himself as this messenger of the one true God. He brings the euangelion, the good news, the, the gospel of the son of God, the Davidic Messiah, whose messiahship and divine sonship are validated by his resurrection and who is the Lord, the curios of the whole world. Paul's task, he says in Romans one, is to bring the whole world, all the nations into the loyal allegiance, or in his words, the obedience of faith 
to this universal Lord, this universal Kyrios. Because of this message, Christians would face much persecution. You see, Christians proclaim that this euangelion of this new Kyrios, this Jesus, this Lord Jesus, that by believing in him, salvation would come to the whole nation, all the empire and all the world as a result. That this message, this gospel of this new Lord Jesus had the power to save you. And so Christians first claim, Christians, Christians first confession was this, Kyrios Iesu. This is the Greek word Kyrios, which means Lord, Iesus, which means Jesus. This was the first creed. This was the first confession of early Christians. Kyrios Iesu, Lord Jesus. This is the earliest known confession or creed of Christians, and we find it in the New Testament, and it serves of, uh, as a statement of faith for the majority of Christians who regard Jesus as both fully man and God. And Jesus' resurrection means that he is the true ruler of all the nations. This confession is nothing other than a direct challenge to Caesar himself, the self-proclaimed Kyrios of the world and of the nations. And so this lordship of Christ led to a conflict because almost every ancient religion was not exclusive. They were never exclusive. Pluralism was possible. And so one commentator wrote this, whether a man turned to philosophy or magic, to, astro to astrology or gnosis, the study of knowledge or the desire for knowledge, it made no difference. Just still worship Caesar as Lord. Well, by 150 AD, the Romans made up their minds that the Christians, because of their refusal to worship the gods or to proclaim Caesar as Lord, they began to say they were responsible, that Christians were responsible for all the famine and plague and earthquakes and, and that they were responsible for practices such as cannibalism and black magic. Kyrios Iesu, Lord Jesus, was a death sentence for early Christians. A side Jesus was fine. Lord Jesus was not tolerated. And so Christians were martyred for their faith in Kyrios Iesu. But why, why, why can't Christians just kind of go along with what everyone else is saying? There's multiple ways to heaven. I mean, is it, can't Christians just kind of relax and say, hey, we're going to follow Jesus in addition to all these other gods or goddesses. Uh, we're going to follow Jesus and, and not preach about him as the exclusive only way to heaven. I mean, what, what's the big deal with Christians saying you can only follow Jesus and Jesus is Lord? I mean, why can't we follow Jesus or believe in Jesus and not completely reorient our lives around him and his teachings and his ways? I mean, is that not possible for Christians to do? Can't, can't we have a, a side Jesus? Well, in this series, here's what I want to convince you of. Number one, that there is no such thing as a side Jesus. And number two, the call of Jesus is a call to follow Jesus as Lord. 
And I want to help us in this series, not, not, not just you, myself. I, I want us all, I want to help us know the difference between a side Jesus that doesn't really exist and Lord Jesus. So if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter nine. Now's a great time to break out our app on your phone, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and the verses and the points and everything will be there as we go. So Luke chapter nine, and Jesus is gonna help us kind of parse this out and figure out the difference between a side Jesus and a Lord Jesus. How do you know if you got a side Jesus and not a Lord Jesus. Luke chapter nine, here's what's happened. Jesus has fed the 5,000 and the crowds love him. The people are loving him. He's teaching them all kinds of things. He's performing miraculous signs and wonders. Now he's actually fed them. He's multiplied the loaves and the fishes and he's fed all these people. He's done this great miracle. And so the, the people are loving Jesus at this point. And then Jesus pivots and he begins to call people to follow him. And here's where things start to get interesting in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 18, says this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say I'm like, what are the people saying about me? Who, who, who do they believe that I am? And they replied, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So here's what the crowds are saying. Like this Jesus guy is a great guy. Like we, we love him. We, we like him. He, he's doing great things. He's, he's teaching us all kinds of great stuff. He's, he's feeding us. He's healing the sick. He's doing all these great things. And so basically what the disciples are, are saying is the crowds are saying, you're a great spiritual teacher. You're a great leader, maybe even a prophet. And then Jesus says, but who do you to his disciples? Watch this. He says this, but who do you say that I am? The next verse. But what about you? He asked, who, who do you say that I am to, to the 12, like to the guys who'd left everything to follow him? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and answers God's Messiah. That's who you are. Other translations and other gospel accounts say that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of God. You see, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, what Peter was confessing, what Peter was saying is you're the anointed one of God. You're the son of God. You're God in the flesh. The one that was to come and restore Israel to power. The one that was to come and rule on David's throne forever. The one that was to come in terms of, in the words of Isaiah 53, as a suffering servant that would die in our place for our sin. You are God's Messiah. Well, watch what happens next. In verse 21, Jesus says this, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And look, G Jesus is prophesying what's going to happen to him into his life, that he's going to be killed. And then on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said this to them all, whoever wants to be my 
disciple. So he's talking to the crowds, his fans, his people that, that love him, his, these people that, that, that like him and think he, he's, he's great. He's something great. He's this great teacher, maybe even this, this great prophet. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, watch this. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. My disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross daily. And in this day, you would walk down a highway, you'd walk down a road and you would see people crucified on the cross. They were lawbreakers. And so in this day, in this culture, the cross was a form. It was a method of execution. And so the disciples, when they hear Jesus saying this, you're going to pick up your cross. Like, that means you're going to, that means you're going to die if you're going to follow him. So they're going to take up their cross daily. You're going to die to yourself. And follow me. And then watch what Jesus says. Forever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus drew big crowds that loved him, that thought he was great. But then Jesus would begin to call the crowds to become committed disciples, committed followers. He would call fans to become followers. And when he would do so, the crowd would thin out. Because they realized if they want to follow Jesus, then it meant denying themselves, dying to themselves, losing their lives for his sake. If they were going to become followers. You see, here's what I want you to see today. It's this, is that fans say Jesus is great. But a follower says Jesus is Lord. Fans of Jesus say, say Jesus is great. Fans of Jesus can even worship Jesus. Fans of Jesus can go to church every week and say, Jesus is great. But followers of Jesus say, Jesus is Lord. And we all started out as a fan at one point. I mean, we all did. That's, that, that's where we all kind of start out. We're listening to Jesus. We're seeing what he has to say. We're seeing what this guy is all about. Maybe we're asking some questions. We start out as fans, and that's totally okay. That, that's great. But the call is to move from being a fan to a follower. Like that's always the call. And when that call is made, just like in the days of Jesus, the crowds thin out. But if you're a fan of Jesus this morning, I want you to know Jesus has so much more for you. Jesus has so much more for you as a follower. And he's calling you today to move from being a fan to being a follower, to move from having a side Jesus to having a Lord Jesus that you follow with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, denying yourself, taking up your cross, losing your life for his sake, following kind of Jesus. So how do you know if you've got a side Jesus or a Lord Jesus? How, how, how do you know? It, it's kind of like 
we, we've always heard that the Jeff Foxworthy things, you know, you might be a redneck if it's kind of like, how do you know if you got a, a, a side Jesus or like right now, how do you know if you've been in quarantine? <laughs> like you might've been in quarantine if you're rationing toilet paper, you might've been in quarantine if you've watched all of the Tiger King already, like on Netflix, like you, you hadn't just watched some of it, like you've already finished the series. You, you might be in quarantine if you've actually paid $20 to rent, not buy, but to rent the early release of a movie. You might be in quarantine if you've already done a chalk drawing with your kids. You might be in quarantine if the house is the cleanest it's ever been. But then on the flip side, you might be in quarantine if your house is the messiest it's ever been. And then finally, you might be in quarantine if you've participated in a video conference in your underwear, right? Or maybe even right now, you're participating in church in your underwear. You might just be in quarantine. But what about a side Jesus? How do you know if you've got a Lord Jesus or a side Jesus? How do you know? Like, how do you know if you've got a Lord Jesus or a side Jesus? Well, number one, here's how, how you know. You have a side Jesus if you believe in Jesus, but you don't sacrifice for him. Like, like that's the message that Jesus has for us in Luke nine. You, you know, you've got a side Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, like you're, you're a fan of Jesus. So you, you believe in Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus said in James chapter two, even the demons believe in Jesus. And so, you know, you've have a side Jesus. If you believe in him, you're a fan of him. You think he's great, but you don't sacrifice for him. Because people who follow Jesus as Lord sacrifice for Jesus. Jesus said when he called his disciples, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and follow me. The New Living Translation says that Jesus said it like this. You must give up your own way if you want to follow me. This is not celebrate yourself Find yourself, center yourself, or even love yourself if you want to follow Jesus. No, no, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, it means you must deny yourself and die to yourself. This is a radical reorientation of your life around following Jesus, around his kingdom, around his mission. Jesus said, and in this denial of yourself, in this dying to yourself, you will save your life. In other words, you will find, you will experience real life when you sacrifice this life, when you sacrifice your way, when you sacrifice self and you begin to follow Jesus, you will know and experience real life. The words of the song, the wonderful cross go like this. Oh, the wonderful cross. It bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Love so amazing, love so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. In Mark chapter eight, Mark's account of this question that Jesus has for his disciples and then his description of what it means to, to follow Jesus records Peter after Jesus says he's going to die 
And then three days later, rise again. In Mark chapter eight, it records Peter saying, never, Lord, you will never die. And Jesus responds to Peter with this, get behind me, Satan. Like, like get behind me. Like you do not have the things of God in mind. You have the things of men on your mind. You see, Satan leads us away from death to self, from self-sacrifice and leads us to self-sitterness, self-celebration, self-preservation, which leads to in our day and in our case, I guess the hoarding of toilet paper. So you might have a side Jesus if you're a toilet paper hoarder. But Jesus said, I'm going to die. And Peter said, oh, no, you're not. No, you won't, Jesus. And Jesus said that, that, that response that came out of Peter, it, it came from Satan, that desire to, to self-preserve, that, that desire to celebrate ourselves and to find ourselves and, and to do what we want, that, that, that self-centered kind of living in response, Jesus said, came from Satan himself. You see, followers of Jesus that follow Lord Jesus are willing to sacrifice themselves and what they want and give up their own way, deny themselves and follow Jesus and completely reorient their lives around the teachings and kingdom and mission of Jesus. So you might have a side Jesus if you believe in Jesus, but you don't sacrifice for him. And then secondly, I think Jesus is telling this in Luke chapter nine, you might have a side Jesus if you believe in Jesus, but don't talk about him. You, you might have a side Jesus if you believe in Jesus, you're a fan of Jesus, but you don't actually ever talk about him. Jesus said this in Luke chapter nine, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of them when they stand before me one day in heaven. Can you imagine that? The Bible says one day, every single one of us are going to stand before God. It's appointed unto man once to die, the Bible says, and then to face judgment. You will stand before God one day. The eternal and holy and righteous and all powerful God. You will stand before him one day. And Jesus said this, if you are ashamed of him and his words, like you won't ever talk about him, he will be ashamed of you. Man, that's heavy. You might have a side Jesus if you believe in him, but you don't ever talk about him. Peter said in Acts chapter two, he's now filled with the Holy Spirit. He's standing up, Acts two, raising his voice, addressing the crowd. This is the same Peter that, that not long before had denied Christ because that, that, that fear of self-preservation and self-centeredness led him to deny his savior. He didn't want to deny himself. And so he denied Jesus in fear for his life. Well, now Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter sees that Jesus has conquered death itself. So he no longer has to fear death. In Acts 2, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and it says he raises his voice, he stands up, he addresses the crowd and he's preaching about Jesus and he says this about Jesus in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. He is both Lord and 
Christ and the crowds are freaking out and they're saying, what must we do? How can we be saved? We crucified the Holy One of God. We crucified the Son of God. What must we do to be saved from this terrible sin? And Peter says this, repent of your sin and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord. He's God. So turn from your sin, bow down, humble yourself and follow him, Peter says. Well, thousands of people become followers of Jesus that day. Peter ends up healing a man and, and, and this crowd's forming and he's preaching about Jesus again and he's arrested and he's brought to trial. And the spiritual leaders of the day begin to tell him to stop preaching about Jesus. They tell him, hey, you got to stop talking about it. And Peter says this, there's no other name in Acts chapter three. There's no other name, Acts four rather. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. And so they get together. They're talking about what do, what do we do? They come back together and they say, hey, you've got to stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter says this, judge for yourself whether it's right to obey God or man. Because we can't help and we can't stop talking about all that we've seen and heard. Peter says, talking about Jesus is a matter of obedience or disobedience to God. Like he's being told to stop talking about Jesus. And he says this, no, no, no. I've got to obey God rather than man. I can't stop talking about Jesus. I must obey God. Talking about Jesus is a matter of obedience or disobedience to God himself. And so he's beaten. He's released from prison. He's warned to stop talking about Jesus, but he, of course, but of course he does not stop. And in Acts chapter five, him and some of the other disciples are arrested. They miraculously escape from prison. And what do they do? They immediately go back to preaching about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, which means Jesus is Lord. They immediately go back to doing it. They're arrested again. They're told to stop speaking about Jesus again. In Acts chapter five, the disciples say, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God. We must keep talking about Jesus. Again, they are beaten and then let go with orders to not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter five, verse 41, watch what happens. After they're arrested over and over and over again, they're beaten and they're warned to stop talking about Jesus. Here's what happened right after that. They were let go and it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They've been arrested over and over and over again for preaching in the name of Jesus. They've been beaten over and over and over again for preaching in the name of Jesus. They've been warned over and over and over. Stop preaching. Stop talking about this Jesus, this, this Lord Jesus, this Kyrios Iesu. Quit talking about him. And they left after all of this rejoicing because they had been counted worthy, watch this, of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then day after day, every day in the temple courts and from house to house, so in, in these big groups and then in small groups in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, the euangelion, 
the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, that Jesus is Lord. They never stopped teaching, proclaiming, talking about Jesus being resurrected from the dead and that Jesus was Lord. They never stopped. They said, we must obey God rather than man. Where are they getting this idea that talking about Jesus was a matter of obedience or disobedience? Well, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus told his followers, he said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to talk about me you're going to spread the UN Gelion, the gospel, the good news that Jesus, that I've been risen from the grave and that I am Lord. You're going to be my witnesses. The Greek word that Jesus uses there and that's written in the New Testament for witnesses in Acts 1 verse 8 is martyrs. It's where we get the English word martyr. Jesus said, you're going to be my martyrs. In other words, you're going to talk about me regardless of the cost. You're going to be my martyrs, my witnesses to the ends of the earth, spreading the UN Gelion, the gospel, the good news that Iesu is curios. Jesus is Lord. Peter and the rest of the disciples would die as martyrs, martyrs, because they would not stop preaching the resurrection. They would not stop preaching Kyrios Iesu. Jesus is Lord. You see, fans say Jesus is great. But a follower says Jesus is Lord. Kyrios Iesu. Jesus is Lord. And saying this in the first and second century under the Roman Empire would cost you your life. Polycarp at age 86 the second century Bishop of Smyrna and the disciple of the apostle John was brought to the Roman authorities and ordered to confess that Caesar is Lord. Siri, Caesar, S. Curios. Though doing so would have saved his life, Polycarp refused and was murdered, inspiring others to remain faithful to Curios Iesu to Lord Jesus. And so here's what I want you to see today. It's this, it's that Jesus is worthy of your life. Jesus is worthy of my life. But here's what you've got to understand. In reality, there's no such thing as a side Jesus, only Lord Jesus. Peter said in Acts two, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. God has made Jesus 
Lord. You and I don't make Jesus Lord. God has already made Jesus Lord. God says Jesus is Lord. You and I don't make him Lord. God has made him Lord. And so the response for us is to bow our knee to the Lord. Paul said this in Philippians chapter two, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is, are you gonna do it now or are you going to do it later? Are you gonna bow your knee now? Because no matter what, you're gonna bow your knee. If you wait and you do it later, it's gonna be too late. Peter said, every knee is gonna bow. You might be thinking, no, I'm never gonna bow to Jesus. Paul said, every knee will bow. When you stand before God one day, you will bow your knee and confess Jesus as Lord. The only question is, when? When will you do it? If you would do it now, the Bible says this, if you bow your knee to Jesus, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved of what? Saved of your sin. Saved of the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard to go to heaven when we die, to be right with God. And there's no amount of good things that you could ever do to be right with God. Ephesians 2 makes that clear. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So you can't do better or try harder your way into the kingdom of God or to be right with God. It's not possible. The only way you can be right with God, Romans 3, the only way you can be forgiven of your sin is to place your faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your sin. That when he shed his blood on the cross, he died in your place for your sin, taking the fine, the you and I owe for our sin. He took it upon himself. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to experience one day in hell for all eternity. And so the gospel, the euangelion, the good news is this, is that we were enemies of God, but God demonstrates his love for us in this way. And that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus died for his enemies. He died for us. And three days later, just as he said he would, he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And if you would bow your knee and give your life to Jesus today, you too could be forgiven of your sin and you could know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And if that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus today, you wanna bow your knee to the Lord Jesus today, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you are committing your life to Christ today. But why not let today be your day that you stop bowing up to God and you bow down. Stop bowing up, bow down, bow your knee to Lord Jesus, to Kyrios Iesu. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that uh, 
you died on the cross to save us from our sin, that you rose again, conquering sin and death, proving that you were the son of God, proving that you are Lord of all. And so God, I pray right now in this moment that your spirit would lead us to bow our knee and say, Kyrios Iesu, Jesus is Lord. And we would deny ourselves. We would pick up our cross and we would follow you and we would talk about you because you are Lord. It's in your name we pray. 